Hey, my name is Phil, and this is my wife, Meredith, and we are the pastors here at Cornerstone Church. We're so glad that you have connected with us here today and that you're getting ready to listen to a message that we know is going to build a resilient faith in your life. Right now, in this moment and in our days ahead, let's continue declaring Jesus over every situation. Enjoy the message. You know, as I was preparing for today's message, I was spending some time in prayer and, uh, and I just believe that God, God was telling me to make sure that I challenged you today to ensure that your study is not replaced by my study of Scripture. My study of Scripture should not be replacing what you are studying in the Bible. My prayer time should not be replacing your prayer time. The voice of God in your life should be heard by you, should not just be heard through me. And I wanna make sure that you believe, I wanna make sure that you hear me clearly today, that you can hear the voice of God in the same way that I can hear the voice of God. And maybe if you're newer in your faith journey, maybe you'll be hearing God's voice through me and you haven't heard God's voice just yet in a way that he can speak directly to you and that's perfectly fine. But the way that you get to know God a little bit more is when you press into his word and you spend more time in prayer and you begin to hear his Holy Spirit moving through you more and more and more. And so I wanna make sure that I challenge you with that today, that as I've been studying and as I've been preparing, that that doesn't replace your own study because there's nothing that is more rich than your personal, raw, authentic time in prayer in your closet, studying God's scripture for yourself. And if you're only opening the Bible on a Sunday morning, if you're only looking at the Bible when it comes up on the screen here in just a couple of moments, then you're missing out on something rich. You truly are. If you're only entering into prayer and worship when we are collectively together, it's a good thing, but it's not the best thing. The best thing is that you would have your own personal relationship with Jesus, who is the Christ. And so as I was preparing for today's message, I felt like God just said, say this at the beginning. Say this at the beginning, that it's not all about what I am saying to you right now, it's about what God is wanting to say to you. And if I do this correctly, if I've spent my time in prayer, and if I've been hearing what God wants to say correctly, then he will be confirming for you in these moments what you have already been hearing him say directly. Because you can hear God speaking in your own life. You can hear God speaking in your own prayer time. And this will just simply be a confirmation. And you'll probably leave today thinking, how did Phil know all of my business? How did he know exactly what I'm wrestling with? How did he know exactly what I needed to hear today? was well, because the Holy Spirit is working through all of us and the Holy Spirit is taking us all on a journey. So I wanna encourage you in that today. And if you're new here today, then you are so welcome. We're so glad that you're here. And uh, really what we do in these moments is that we join with the angel, we join with churches all around the world, and we collectively lift up the name of Jesus, we glorify him, and it's an opportunity for us to all be on the same page doing the same thing. And we are one church in the kingdom of God. We are one church, we all serve different purposes across all of our different churches, but we're one church that joins together in the kingdom. And it's important that you remember that, that we are one church that serves one person in the kingdom because the kingdom is the thing that unites us. 
The culture is the thing that unites us. The kingdom culture, this is what we're talking about in this series. This is the thing that unites us because when you look across this room even, you'll see many things that might be different about us. You might see different skin colors. You might see different heights. You might see different ages. You might get to know someone and and believe something differently. You might have different political persuasions. You might have a different gender. You might have a different age, but the kingdom culture is the thing that unites everybody in this room. We are all pursuing Jesus who is the king and we are all pursuing the kingdom that he has come to establish. Amen? Amen. Awesome. And so uh, it is a privilege that we're here today. I don't want to get off this just yet because sometimes people look at Meredith and I and they see that both of us are white and they, even though I'm a little bit Hispanic as well, but they, they think that both of us are white and then they think, well, because you're both white, you both probably come from the same culture. But that's not true. It takes about 10 seconds of conversation between the two of us to realize that we don't actually come from the same culture. That I grew up in a large city in a small country in an eastern community or in, in, a, in a coastal community where my culture was influenced by the beach, which impacts our way of life and our speed of living and all of those types of different things. And Meredith grew up here in the Midwest in the United States, and so that impacts the types of food that she likes to eat. That impacts the types of shows that she likes to watch. That impacts the types of people that she likes to hang out with. And so you look at us and you might think that we're the same and that we come from the same background and that we come from the same culture, but that's just not true. But the thing that does unite us is our pursuit of Jesus and the kingdom that he came to establish and the culture that we believe that he is setting right here on the earth because culture impacts everything. Culture impacts the way that you believe. Culture impacts the way that you live. Culture impacts the way that you forgive. Culture impacts the the way that you give. Culture trumps everything that we do. And so that's why we're talking about it. That's why we're spending all of these weeks talking about kingdom culture, because it's so important that we understand this, that culture comes before everything else. Kingdom culture is the thing that trumps our world's culture. Kingdom culture is the thing that makes sure that we, we keep our mind and our eyes set on what Jesus came to establish here. And so we have this scripture in in Matthew chapter 18 that we're going to look at in just a moment. And um, I just want to speak about the elephant in the room real quick, which is that I don't think that we have even acknowledged how bizarre this picture is that we've all been looking at for like the last five weeks. I don't know where we found this photo. I don't know where it came from. I don't know if it's someone that we know. If this was like someone that we took to an area and put an old cracked computer screen on their face. I don't know, I don't know where it came from. Um, random, bizarre, off-topic thought. But, uh, but we're gonna look at the scripture in Matthew chapter 18. And just by way of context, This is a moment in scripture where Jesus has been talking with people about reconciliation. We see this happening before the scripture that we're about to read. He's been talking about reconciliation and forgiveness and being in right relationships with people. And remember that when the authors wrote the Bible, they didn't write the Bible with chapters and verses. And so they just wrote accounts about what was happening. And so we see this in Matthew chapter 18. We're gonna pick up this in verse 21. It says, then Peter came to Jesus Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. 
Now, it's important to know that when Peter was asking the question, Jewish tradition said that you only had to forgive someone three times, that you forgave them once, twice, a third time, and you didn't need to forgive that person a fourth time because if they sinned again about the same thing a fourth time, then that was evidence that they weren't really repentant about it in the first place. And so you only needed to forgive someone three times. And so when Peter asked the question, how many times should I forgive someone, seven times? He's actually going above and beyond what Jewish tradition was teaching in the first place. And then, of course, Jesus says, well, it's not three times that you need to forgive. It's not seven times that you need to forgive. It's not 77 times. And in other translations, it's not 70 times seven, which would be 490 times. The point is not the number. The point is that we forgive that we just forgive. And then he goes on to talk about a parable and we can read the parable or we can act it out. Who wants to act it out right now? Anyone wanna act this out? Or Meredith, you wanna act this out. So you're volunteer number one. I need two other volunteers to come and act out this story right now. Who else wants to come volunteer? Anyone? We go, oh, oh, cool, awesome, awesome. Hey, put our hands together for some of our Latinos that were here today that are gonna come and volunteer to act out this story. Perfect, and I need one more person, one more person that's gonna come act out the rest of this parable right here. Come on, one more person, don't make me call on names. Perfect, awesome, thank you so much. Put our hands together. Tracy, can I have this microphone right here as well? All right, so we've got three people that are gonna help act out this story. I need one of you to stand right here for me. Thank you so much. One of you to stand right here. You get to be God in this story. Come on, you made the right choice. I know it. Wait, wait. It's too late now. All right, I need one more person to stand over here. It's not good for you, but you're gonna be standing right here. You made the wrong choice. And Meredith, you can stand right over here for me. Okay, so Jesus has just had this conversation with Peter and he's just said, how many times do I need to forgive? And Jesus answers the question, well, you need to forgive a bunch of times, okay? It's not about the number, just forgive people, right? And then he goes into this story where he talks about a king. What is your name? Ellie. Ellie. Ellie, okay, you are the king in this story. You are God. Awesome, okay. And what is your name? Aaron. Aaron, you are servant number one, also known as the unforgiving servant. All right, and what's your name? I'm Meredith. You're Meredith. Isn't she fine? Hey! You're servant number two. All is okay for you but we'll find out why. Okay, so you're the king and you live in this land and all of a sudden one day you decide that you're gonna call accounts due. You want all your money that you have loaned out to other people. Okay, so servant number one, you come over and king, you say that you own 10,000 talents, which might not mean much to you right now, 10,000 talents, but we'll get to that in just a moment. You owe 10,000 talents to the king, but you don't have that kind of money because you're poor, you're a servant but you want your 10,000 talents. So then you start begging for forgiveness. Like begging on your knees, you start begging on your knees. You're not gonna get your pants there. You ain't gonna do that. I hear you, no problem. Okay, but you're, you're begging, right? You want forgiveness. And you say, just give me a little bit of extra time and I'll, and I'll be able to pay these 10,000 talents back, right? And then the king says, don't worry about it. I forgive you, I cancel your debt. And you're happy about it, right? so happy that you then come over to one of your other servants and you've now forgotten about what happened over here and then you turn to one of your fellow servants who owes not 10,000 talents but like a couple of denarii, okay? And, and we'll get to that. We'll get to the significance of that in just a moment. You owe just a little bit of money. 
okay? And so you want your money back, and you don't have the money because, again, you're a poor servant, and so then you start begging for forgiveness. You're also not gonna get down on your knees? Oh, she's gonna do it! That's the drama student that's coming out right here. She's begging for forgiveness as the servant because she cannot pay the debt that she owes to this servant, right? She owes some money. And then this servant, forgetting about what happens over here, what happened with the king, says, I want the money. And you say, your forgiveness is not given, and now I'm going to put you in prison. So now you are in prison for the money that you owe. Where's the prison? There's the prison, right? But then, then some other people hear about what's just happened, and they know about the generosity of the king over here, and they see what has just happened here, and then they start telling the king. They text the king, and they say, King, guess what just happened? I saw something happen, and you need to know about this. And so then the king, the king calls for servant number one to come back over here. And you're not happy about it. Oh, so now you're going to do it. And the king is not happy about this because the king was generous to the servant in the first place. And then the servant turned around and did not show that generosity, did not show that forgiveness to another servant. And you are, you're mad. You are frustrated. You start cussing at this guy. You are just... I'm gonna pull the microphone away and just, just in case. <laughs> but you're upset about it, right? So much so that you say, you know what? The debt that you owed is reinstated. And now you will be thrown in jail as well. Because while I forgave you in the first place, you did not forgive the debt in the same way that I forgave you. And so because this has not been a change in your own heart, you will now be thrown in jail until this debt can be repaid, which like is for the rest of your life, you will be thrown in jail. And this is the story of the unforgiving servant. Will you put your hands together and thank our volunteers. <laughs> Meredith, you can get out of jail, that's fine. You're free. Let's pray. God, we're thankful for today. We're thankful for this parable that you told thousands of years ago. God, I'm thankful that you have a heart of forgiveness towards us, and I'm thankful that there is deep truth here in this story, that while it was spoken thousands of years ago, it's still relevant for us today. And I just ask that you would speak through me clearly, that this would be good soil, that we can be challenged and convicted by you, the Holy Spirit, the only one who can truly convict us. God, I ask that you would speak through me today so that we can see your truth in these moments. And it's in your name that we've all prayed. Amen. 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 Awesome. Um, has anybody ever hurt you? Has anybody ever hurt you? I want you to put your hand up if you have ever been hurt by somebody, if someone has ever said something to hurt you, if someone has ever done something to hurt you, your hand should be up in the air right now. If it's not up, you're a liar and you are lying in the house of God. How dare you? You've just hurt me. No, I'm just playing. Okay, so it is impossible to get through life and not be hurt. Right? It's impossible to get through life and not be pained. It's impossible to get through life and to not be offended because in some ways, the further that we go through life, the more that this becomes inevitable, whether it's a big thing or whether it's a small thing. Whether the offense that has occurred happened this morning and someone pulled into the parking space that you had eyed first and they took it from you, or if it's someone that cut you off in traffic, or if it's something big like 
like a lack of trust in relationship, like if someone does something to betray you, like if someone cheats on you or if someone lies to you, whether it's a small thing or whether it's a big thing, we cannot get through life without pain and hurt and offense taking place to us. And the reality is, is that the world wants us to respond one kind of way, and the kingdom says that we should respond another kind of way. The world says that we should cancel that person that has just caused offense to us. The world says that you should delete that person. The world says that you should block that person, that you should delete their contact, that you should unfollow them, that you should unfriend them. That's what the world says that we should do to the person who has just caused offense to you. But what does Jesus teach? What does Jesus require? Jesus requires that we forgive. Not just that we should forgive three times, not that we should forgive seven times or 490 times. Jesus says that we should forgive. And sometimes it's easy for us to think that we have forgiven someone just because we don't see them anymore just because we have, matter of fact, canceled them, just because we have removed them from our social media, just because we have changed churches, just because we've done whatever. We think that we have forgiven the person, but if we ever ran into that person again that has caused offense to us, what we would find is that I would explode my mess all over them, that I haven't actually dealt with the unforgiveness that I'm holding on the inside. I would either explode over them and remind them of the pain and the hurt that they have caused me, or I would implode on the inside and I would start spewing and spitting all about it because there is unresolved mess that is on the inside of me. And hurt and offense can be great. And if you have been the recipient of some great offense, then chances are you're sitting here today, chances are you're listening today thinking, well, I can't forgive this person for such and such offense because I'm still hurting. I can't forgive this person because if I forgive them, then that gives them entrance back into my life where they can hurt me again. I can't forgive this person because I want them to hurt in the same way that I am hurting. And so if the offense is big, this is something that we wrestle with. But let me just, let me just take a couple moments and get something really clear for us about what forgiveness is and what forgiveness isn't. Forgiveness isn't a commitment to lend to that person again that has just broken trust with you. Forgiveness isn't giving access to that person and a commitment to let them hurt you again. Forgiveness isn't forgetting. Forgiveness isn't instant trust with that person. Forgiveness isn't the absence of consequences. Forgiveness isn't condoning the wrong that they did to you. And forgiveness isn't saying that you don't hurt anymore. That is not what forgiveness is. But what forgiveness is, is releasing the debt that you feel that that person owes to you. That's what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is saying that you're not going to hold that debt against that person anymore and that you're gonna turn it over to God. And if God says vengeance is mine, then I want God to deal with the outcome of this situation, right? Why would I hold it for myself? And that's what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is me saying I'm not going to personally hold this person accountable. I'm not gonna want revenge. I'm not gonna want vengeance anymore. I'm gonna turn the outcome over to God and I'm not gonna spew 
true about this anymore. And that's what forgiveness is. Matter of fact, there was a guy named Thomas Watson who was a Puritan about 300 years ago, and he assembled this quote about what forgiveness is. And he took all kinds of different scriptures that talk about what forgiveness is, and he pulled it into one quote, and he says this, and it's beautiful. Thomas Watson said, when we strive against all thoughts of revenge, when we will not do our enemies mischief, but wish well to them, when we grieve at their calamities, when we pray for them, when we seek reconciliation with them, and show ourselves ready on all occasions to relieve them. This is what forgiveness is. This is what forgiveness is. And it can be really hard to do because the very fact that forgiveness is required in a moment means that there has been an offense that has occurred. It means that there, has, there is pain that has happened. It means that there has been broken trust. It means that it is difficult just in the nature that forgiveness is required. And in our culture, it's so easy to be pain averse. It's so easy to be pain avoidant, right? Because like I said, if someone offends you or if someone upsets you, you can just go find new friends. You can just go find a new community. You can just go find a new parking space. You can just delete them off social media. And so we begin to be pain avoidant because we don't wrestle into the pain that is required to bypass so that we can enter into a place of forgiveness and healing. And and if I'm, just, if I'm just truthfully honest, if I'm just vulnerable in this moment, this is something that I've wrestled with throughout my life, the concept of unforgiveness. And there has been countless nights that I will lay awake in the evening, unable to sleep, as I will relive conversations, as I will remember names and faces of people that have hurt me or people that have said things about me and all of these types of different things. But the, the thing that I constantly remind myself of in those moments is that I have two choices. One is that I will respond in the flesh. And the flesh says that I will wish harm upon that person. The flesh says that I will entertain thoughts of that person not prospering or, 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 or entertain thoughts of pain upon that person. But that's the flesh. And that's choice number one. Choice number two is that I will forgive that person. And choice number two is that I will go beyond that and that I will wish them well. And that choice number two says that I will pray for prosperity over that person. And choice number two says that I will ask God to bless that person and to pour favor upon that person. And that I will pray for a Damascus Road experience for that person so that they can encounter God and see the error of their ways and stop persecuting those that God has in the kingdom. And I have two choices. I can respond in the flesh or I can respond in the spirit and the spirit says, forgive. And part of the reason why we tell ourselves that it's okay to respond in number one, as in the flesh, is because we forget about the fact of what God has done for us. We forget about the enormity of what God has done for us in erasing our own debt to him. And when we forget about that, we miss the point of this story because keep in mind that this is a story that Jesus told this parable in Matthew 18 where there was a king and there was servants. And as we know, the king is God and the servants, that's us. Right? And so God is the king in this story, and he has this day where he decides to reconcile all accounts. And that's the day that we die. And that's the day that Jesus says that we will be judged. And this is something that is going to happen. 
because God is going to judge his creation and he's gonna find out what side of the line that you fall on. And so God is going to judge his people and servant number one comes up with a 10,000 talent debt. Now I know that 10,000 talents probably means nothing to you today, but 10,000 talents is enormous. 10,000, and it's not even just about the number because 10,000 was the highest number that existed in the Greek, the, the, the Greek uh, numerical system. You couldn't actually count to 10,001. This was the highest number that possibly existed. And a talent was the largest measurement that existed. So it's like the biggest of the biggest. And if you translated 10,000 talents today, this would be the equivalent of like $6 billion that this servant owed to the king. Six billion dollars that this servant owed. And Jesus is saying that this is the debt that you owe to the king. This is the debt that you owe to God. This is a number that you cannot achieve. This is an unattainable number. It's not about the number of six billion dollars, but it is an unattainable number that you don't have the ability to pay back in your lifetime or in multiple future lifetimes. This is not something that you're able to achieve. And potentially you're, you're here today and you're thinking, well, I don't have $6 billion of debt. This is not something that, that I, I wrestle with greatly. I don't sin all the time. I don't have $6 billion of debt. Maybe the person that's sitting next to me has $6 billion of debt, but this is not something that's true for me, right? I might have like, I might have $1,000 of debt. I might have like $10,000 of debt. You know that I'm not talking about like the actual dollar, right? I'm just keeping with the theme of the story. I'm, I might not have like $6 billion of debt, but I've just, got, I've just got a little bit of debt. But what Jesus says throughout scripture is that he knows us. Psalm says that God knew us in our mother's womb. He, womb. he formed us before we were even born. He knows the amount of hairs that you have on your head or maybe the amount of hairs that you used to have on your head. And so God knows, uh, that's just a bold joke for our friends down here, see? <laughs> he formed us and he knows us and he knows everything that you have ever done. He knows every good thing that you've ever done and he knows every bad thing that you've ever done. He knows every sin that you've ever committed. He knows every issue that you've ever struggled with. He knows every website that you've ever been to. He knows every lie that you've ever told. He knows every thought that you have ever entertained, every lie, everything that you've ever said, every, every, everything that you could possibly imagine doing, God already knows that about you. And God's standard is holy. God is perfect. Holy means other. God is other, God is removed from us. And so if we have sinned, even if you have one cent of sin on your life, we have sinned and we have fallen short of God's glory. That's what he says, it's not about the number, it's just the fact that you have one small amount of sin in your own life and that makes it unattainable for you to ever pay back the debt. It's not about paying it back in one lifetime, it's about the fact that we're unable to pay it back in a thousand lifetimes. And, and it's interesting about servant number one that we had here. His response to the king wasn't, king, please forgive me of my debt. He never actually said that. He said, king, if you just give me a little bit of extra time, I'll pay it back. 
If you just give, if you just extend the period, please don't, please don't make me pay it back today. If you just give me just a little bit more time, I'll be able to work this off. I'll be able to pay this off. I'll, I'll show up to church a little bit more. I'll give a little bit more. I'll start serving at the homeless shelter. I'll, I'll start being nicer to my friends. I'll be able to pay this off. I'll be able to work this debt off that I have to you if you just, if you just give me a little bit of extra time. And that's the attitude that we have as well, not recognizing the enormity, not recognizing the unattainable fact of that we have this debt to God because we have sinned and we sin daily. And this is something that we're unable to pay back to God, but thank God that there is a verse 27 in this story because it says that it's not about the servant's goodness. It's not about the works that we have. It says this in verse 27, the servant's master took pity on him and canceled the debt and let him go. This word pity is also translated as compassion. The king, Jesus, looked at the servant and had compassion on him. And this is the same root word that is used in the story of the prodigal son. When the prodigal son left the father and came back, this is the same emotion that the loving father had towards his son. He had pity on him. He was moved from his inside to respond. It it caused an outside response because of the emotion that he was feeling on the inside. This is the compassion that the king showed towards his servant. And the king does more than just extending the time, extending the period that he had to pay back the debt. The king cancels the debt altogether because he knows that even if this servant was given a thousand lifetimes, he would still be unable to pay back this debt. And this is a beautiful story that shows the evidence of mercy and grace coming together in this beautiful illustration because it would have just been mercy if God had said, take a little bit of extra time. It would have been mercy that would have been demonstrated if the king said, I understand that you're gonna work and pay it off. I'm not gonna call it due today. I will give you a little bit of extra time and I'm not gonna throw you in jail today. But instead, he goes beyond mercy and he shows grace. And he says, I'm gonna do for you what you are unable to do for yourself. And in that same way, Jesus did for us what we were unable to to do for ourselves. When he stepped onto the cross, he wasn't murdered. He gave up his own life. He gifted himself for us so that he could do what we could not do for ourselves and put himself in right relationship with Christ. And that's what Jesus does for us. But the the issue with that when the king forgives the debt of servant number one is that servant number one doesn't understand the enormity of what has just happened. And then he turns and he goes to servant number two. And he, it's like he just forgets about what just happened. The fact that he was forgiven lifetimes of debt, that he just avoided going to prison, that he was just pardoned in this sense. And he turns and he goes to servant number two, and he just owes a few denarii, not 10,000 talents, but a few denarii. It, it's not nothing. It's not like just a couple of dollars. A few denarii is like, like $12,000 or something like that. And now, I, I don't know about you, but if I ever owed you, or if I ever lent you $12,000, I would probably want that money back someday, right? Now, if I, if I lent you like 20 bucks or something like that, and you never paid me back, it'd be cool. I wouldn't worry about it. But if I ever lent you $12,000, chances are that I'm going to come after you and I'm going to get my money back, right? And so servant number one comes after servant number two, and he says, hey, you owe me $12,000. I want my money back. 
And servant number two begs for forgiveness. He says, I, I, don't, I don't have the money. Please forgive me. If you, if you just give me a little bit of extra time, if you, if you just work with me a little bit, I'll be, able to, I'll be able to pay back this debt. And servant number one says, no, and throws him in jail. And of course, the king hears about this, and then servant number one is summoned back to the king, and then the king throws servant number one in jail because he's mad about it. And he said, in the same way that I forgave you, you should have forgiven other people. But he didn't do that. And so Jesus wraps up this story by saying that in the same way that the servant number one was forgiven, that we should be forgiving other people as well, that we should be forgiving other people of their sins. And if you aren't forgiving the person that has offended you, if you are not forgiving the person that has caused pain within your own life, or maybe the pain to other people that are around you, or maybe pain to your loved ones, if you're not forgiving other people, then you're demonstrating to God that you don't recognize the forgiveness that he showed you in the first place. And what you're saying to God is that the sin, that the pain, that the offense that somebody else has caused me is greater than the pain that I have caused to Christ. And let me just tell you, that's not true. That your sin, your mess is enormous. I know that you didn't come to church thinking that you would hear that today, that your sin is the issue, but your sin is the issue. And your sin is what caused you to be separate from Jesus. Your sin is what caused you to be separate from your creator. It's not about just what Adam did back in the beginning. It's about the sin that we still commit today. And it's the fact that Jesus did what only Jesus can do that put us back in right relationship with him. You couldn't earn it. You couldn't. You couldn't, you couldn't get yourself back in right relationship with Jesus. But Jesus says that we are required to forgive. It's not just a good idea. It's not just something that he recommends. He says that we are required to forgive. And I want to be really clear right now because it's not that your forgiveness will put you in right relationship with God because that would mean that your forgiveness is a work. And this is not a gospel of works. This is something that we know that this is a gospel of grace. We know that salvation is only by what Jesus Christ has done for us and not because we have any measure of, of deserving it. And so it's not that your forgiveness puts you in right relationship with God. It's about the understanding of what Christ did for me in the beginning when I understand that truly, I will be able to forgive the person that has offended me and I will not hold it against them. Salvation on the inside allows for us to show forgiveness on the outside. When you truly recognize the enormity of the sin that you have made against Jesus, when you recognize and receive the salvation that he offers on the inside, that allows for us to be able to forgive other people. And when you don't do it, you're recognizing or you're demonstrating to God that you think that what others have done to you is worse than what you did to God. And I get it because it, it's hard. When, when someone sins against you, when, when someone hurts you and causes pain to you, you don't, you don't want to forgive them because it hurts. And I get that. And you're sitting here today, and you're listening, and you're thinking, but, but, but Pastor Phil, you don't know what this person did to me. You don't know how they hurt me. 
You don't know the way that they threw me under the bus. You don't know what they did. You don't know what they said. You don't know how they lied about me. You don't know the reality of what they did. And that's true. But God does. And the answer is the same. That you can respond in one of two ways. You can respond in the flesh or you can respond with forgiveness. And when servant number one comes back to the king and the king sorts him out and throws him in jail, that word that he's been turned over to the jailers, the jailers is like actually a really kind euphemism. It's, it's not that he's actually being turned over to the jailers. It says a, a better way to translate that is actually that he's being turned over to the tormentors, that he's being turned over to the torturers, because the reality is that you've got two options. You can either forgive or you will be tormented. You can forgive the person and you can wish well for the other person, or you will be tormented within yourself because bitterness Malice, vengeance, these are not things that God wants us to be wrestling with. God wants us to be people who forgive first, who turns things over to God to be the one who is the author of all the outcomes. And so when you respond in the flesh and when you don't show forgiveness to people, the reality is is that you are going to be dealing with vengeance and bitterness and unforgiveness again and again and again. And studies show regularly that when you're dealing with unforgiveness, it literally will kill you. Unresolved unforgiveness will kill you because it begins to be something that causes stress and anxiety and hyper, your blood pressure goes up, you get stomach ulcers, all the things that we don't want for our bodies, these things are caused by unforgiveness. And so when you're tormented by unforgiveness, it will literally kill you. And this is not the portion that God has for you. God wants you to forgive in the same way that you have been forgiven. And I know that it's tough, and I know that uh, we wrestle with our flesh in this. But, but that's actually what, what Isaiah was talking about when he says, God, your, your ways are higher than my ways, and my thoughts are not your thoughts. Actually, in the context of what Isaiah was saying there, he's actually talking about forgiveness. Because the flesh, the reality is that what I want is for harm for this person. The flesh side of me, the unsaved side of me, the unsanctified side of me says that I want harm upon this person. But what Isaiah is saying in this moment in Isaiah 55, what he's actually saying is, God, your ways are higher than my ways. This is my way. This is what I would want for this person, but your ways are higher than my ways. You want more out of me. You want me to step up to a new standard. This is what God is saying. And so my, my flesh tells me to avoid the pain. My flesh tells me to, to delete the person. My flesh tells me to, to defriend the person. But what God calls us is to enter through that journey in a place of forgiveness so that we can come into healing on the other side. We had someone uh, come into town to meet with our staff a couple of weeks ago, and uh, this was a, a lady who's trained in, in Christian counseling and has done it for people all over the country. And so we brought her in to meet with our staff so that we could ensure that we have a healthy team here that's not just healthy today, but is dealing with the roots of maybe where some issues come from over life. Because how many know that sometimes childhood issues come out later on in life, right? And so we want to make sure that our staff here is healthy, that we are healed people, and that we are able to bring healing to other people. And so Meredith and I brought this lady into town, and she was teaching us about this valley of unforgiveness. And we actually have uh, an image of it that you're going to see right here. This is uh, the valley of unforgiveness. 
when someone has just caused offense to you, you start at number one. You start in a place of shock. And then you begin to work your way through. And, and how many know that it would be better if you could just build a bridge from one to nine? And you could just bypass this entire journey, right? And you could just move straight from shock to acceptance and you would be healthy and healed. But that's not the reality. The reality is that we need to enter into this place, this journey that healing takes place. And you'll notice that number five is forgiveness. That is at the bottom. This is the turning point of the whole experience that as you're stepping down on the left side, you begin to go through anger and sadness and, and facing the loss, and then forgiveness is the place where you make a choice. And sometimes we think that we're not going to enter into this valley because I'm still hurting. Sometimes we think I'm not gonna enter into this valley because the pain is still real for me. And I'm not ready to forgive this person because I'm still hurting and I need to get over the hurt first before I can forgive the person. But what God says is that healing takes place the moment that you choose to forgive. That you cannot heal without making the choice to forgive somebody. And so in step number five, you see that you begin to turn and you begin to release the offense that the other person has caused to you. You begin to face the reality of the loss. You begin to release the other person knowing that God will cause a just and gracious and merciful outcome on the other side. And then the last step in this journey, this valley where issue and offense has taken place is acceptance and embracing life with all of these changes. And maybe you'll have some scars on the other side. You might still hurt on the other side, but your forgiveness of somebody else is not dependent on how you feel. Your forgiveness of somebody else that has hurt you is dependent on your choice. And it's dependent on your ability to recognize what Christ has done for you. And if you're not willing to forgive your brother or your sister or your friend or your family for what they have done to you, Christ will not forgive you. That's what he says at the end of this scripture because what it demonstrates is that salvation is not truly recognized on the inside of you. Remember, it's not about works. It's not about your ability to forgive other people. It's about you recognizing what Christ has done for you. Most of us are probably familiar with, with the Lord's Prayer. You've probably prayed it many times throughout your life. Um, but I just want us all to stand and to read this portion of scripture together with a, a fresh insight as to what forgiveness looks like. You might think about the Lord's Prayer and not even think about how there's a moment of forgiveness that takes place in it. But I want us to all read through this together. It's going to come up on the screen in just a moment because we all probably memorized different versions and different translations and all of that. But I want us to read up until the part where it talks about forgiveness. Let's read this together. It says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Let 
I just want you to pause for a moment and I want you to think about the person or the people that you are holding unforgiveness toward. I just want you to pause right there. And I believe that the Holy Spirit is gonna bring names and faces before you. Maybe it's from years ago, maybe it's from yesterday. But that God is going to bring people before you that you are still holding bitterness towards right now. And this is an opportunity for us to forgive them. Because remember, how you feel about it is irrelevant. This is a choice that you have today. To recognize the reality that your mess puts you at odds with Christ, but his goodness brought you back into right relationship with him. He didn't have to forgive you, but he did it because he loves you. And he wants us to do the same. God, we ask that you would help us realize the devastation that we have caused within our own sin. Help us to understand the weight of what we have done and help us to accept your forgiveness towards us. You didn't have to do it, but you did it anyway because you're that kind of gracious God. And God, in the same way that you forgave us this unattainable debt so that we could be back in right relationship with you, our creator, God, we choose to forgive others. God, I choose to forgive that person right now that I entered today with unforgiveness in my heart about. God, I know that they hurt me. You know that they hurt me. But I believe that you will give me the strength to forgive this person. I know that I'm still hurting. But God, I choose today to recognize the forgiveness that you have shown me I choose to receive you today as my savior, knowing that I couldn't do what I needed to do and so you did it in my place. God, I choose to forgive others. I know that there's no way that they could have done against me what I did to you, but I choose to forgive them now. I choose to release them. And in the place of bitterness, in the place of vengeance, in the place of revenge, in the place of wishing harm upon other people, in the, in the place of where my flesh wants me to be, in the place of, of where the evil one wants me to sit, I ask that you would turn that situation around and that you would replace that with your goodness, that you would replace that with your peace. God, I ask that you would restore relationships. God, I ask that you would heal what is broken. God, I ask that you would mend what is hurting. God, I ask that you would do what only you can do. We know that forgiveness is our portion. God, we choose forgiveness today. We choose healing today. I choose to be right with you today. And I choose to allow other people to be right with me today. And I thank you for the release of burdens, the release of bitterness, the release of pain, the release of, of shame. I praise you for that today, God, that you are releasing this heaviness and you are returning it with joy, that you are replacing it with glory today, God. I thank you for it. 
I thank you for what you have done in this place. I thank you for what you have done in these moments. I thank you for the healing that has taken place. And today, collectively, God, we give you the praise and the honor and the adoration and the glory for how you have turned our situation around. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Savior. Thank you, God, for what you have done for us. And we take this moment to celebrate you, thanking you, God, for what you have done, for how you have restored, for how you have healed, for how you have redeemed. I thank you, God, for what you have done today. It is only because of you and it is only because of your goodness and your faithfulness that we can receive it today, God. It's in your name, Jesus, that we have prayed. Amen.